The Storms of Life Part 1 of The Storms of Life series A Sandman Potfic Written by Torte and read by Literarian Summary What if someone heard Hop shouting after Dream in 1889? He was pretty damn loud. What if he gets himself caught? Will Dream notice? Chapter 1 The thorns which I have reaped are of a tree I planted. They have torn me and I bleed. I should have known what fruit would spring from such a seed. Lord Byron Fuck! Hob swears loudly as his stranger's back fades into the dark. Fuck, fuck, fuck! He spins around, walks back in the direction of the inn, then turns again and hurries after him, but when he rounds the corner, his stranger is nowhere to be found. Hop rakes his fingers through his hair and lets out a frustrated whine. No, 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 please come back. I didn't, I just... He stops himself begging the empty street for answers and heaves a shuddering sigh. A scraping sound makes him turn, but there's no one to be seen. Dejected, he makes his way back to the inn. He still has to settle the bill. Might as well have another drink or three. Later, when Hop feels blessedly number than before, he makes his way home through the dark streets of London. It's too late to find a cab, and so he walks. His lodgings aren't far, but he'll have to bribe the manager to let him in at this hour. He's glad the man likes him and sees in him a confirmed bachelor like himself. He hasn't invited Hop into his room yet, but it seems like something not far off if Hop's experience is anything to go by. Maybe tonight that'll be the price for a dry and warm bed. He laughs and stumbles onwards. Maybe someone to take his mind off his stranger would do him good. Hop leans against the wall of the closest building for a moment when the street before him spins a bit too wildly. The sound of footsteps coming closer has him try and focus. Getting stabbed is uncomfortable and Hop would rather avoid it. The footsteps stop close behind him and Hop turns with an exasperated groan. Uh, listen, take my money, mate, but please don't put a hole in this coat. It's new. He is knocked over the head and falls back against the wall with a grunt. His vision blacks out and the last thing he hears is a haughty man's voice. Take him away. We'll test his claims at the manor. Lucienne's time is precious. 
she hasn't got the time to read every book in the library. She chooses certain topics or individuals to focus on, depending on the century, the trends of certain dreams or nightmares, and sometimes personal interest. Her lord's mood is of singular interest to her at all times, and so when Lord Morpheus returns from his meeting with Robert Gatling like a pitch-black emissary of the void, trailing newborn nightmares like an open box of Pandora, and shuts himself in his room without so much as a glance at any of his subjects, well, let's just say that the books of a certain immortal individual have just been pushed to the top of her reading list. Especially after the thunderstorm hits the castle. After several hours of turning pages, she takes off her glasses and pinches the top of her nose, sighing. Mervyn, do you have any alcoholic beverages on your person at the moment? I need a drink. Hop regains consciousness and immediately wishes he hadn't. His head is hurting something fierce and he groans. There is a gasp nearby and a shuffle. Then a young man says, By all that is holy. And another, much more satisfied voice that sounds vaguely familiar. I knew it. Hop tries to lift his head and opens his eyes a crack. The light of gas lamps on bare stone walls. Darkness above. He is lying on the floor. He feels the cold of the stone through his shirt. Did they take his coat? Damn them! Father, this is a miracle! No such thing, Randall. This is a gift. Something that can be gained by any man, if this one is anything to judge by. Hop feels dread coil in his gut. His gut that feels surprisingly tender. Did they... Did you... Stop me? He groans and tries to sit up. His stomach pulls, and he winces, but the wound seems healed already. He opens his eyes more and looks up at the two men standing above him. One is a man in his prime with a sharp nose and a cruel smile. The other is younger, the son probably, only on the cusp of adulthood. He looks frightened. Out of the corner of his eyes, Hop sees two more men standing guard at the door a few feet away. The older man says in a pleasant voice, like he's discussing the weather, You were stabbed, yes. We took you in to look after the wound. But it seems to have sorted itself out. You, my friend, are a very interesting man. His grin is splitting his face, and Hop finally realizes what kind of trouble he's in. The dreaming is wrecked by thunderstorms and rain for weeks. 
Mervyn complains about it constantly, especially when Jessamie drags in rainwater and flicks it off her wings directly in his face, which is rude. But Lucienne knows that Mervyn needs something to occupy him, and the less he has time to think about why it is raining, the better. Lord Morpheus hasn't left his room since he returned. Lucienne knows she will be met with fury for daring to disturb him, but something needs to be done. Something is nagging her and she doesn't like to be distracted. She takes a deep breath and knocks on Dream's door. There's no answer. My lord, I am sorry to disturb you, but several subjects have complained about the current weather disturbing their homes and hindering them in carrying out their functions. <clears throat> they request an audience. There's a shuffle from the other side of the door and it creaks open. Morpheus stands in the doorway, looking like he hasn't rested in days, deep circles under his dark eyes and a harsh downward twist to his mouth. I will not grant it at this moment. The weather will be dealt with soon. He shuts the door in her face. Lucienne frowns and then speaks again, knowing he can still hear her. There's another matter, my lord. Robert Gatling. A crash sounds from inside the room and Lucienne blinks and takes a quick step back from the door before it is flung open again. The King of Nightmares rises up out of the doorway like a rolling black cloud and stares down at her with flames dancing in his eyes, his face a mask of stoic rage. You dare interfere in my personal affairs, Lucian. She does not step away further, but lowers her gaze deferentially. I wouldn't, my lord, if it did not affect all of us. Dream cocks his head and sneers. And how does Robert Gatling affect you, Lucienne? I said the weather will be dealt with. It affects us because it affects you, she doesn't dare say. Instead, she says, I came across his latest book of dreams and I thought it prudent to inform you of the change in his dreams. Dream scoffs and turns away, back into his room, pulling black smoke and dream stuff inside after him. I have no interest in the dreams of one human. I do not want to hear his name spoken again in my presence. Lucienne steps after him before he can shut the door in her face again. 
My lord, he has only nightmares. The worst kind. Was that... Is that... By your intention? Dream phrases. She sees the hand at his side clenching violently before it forcibly relaxes. The king straightens his back and steps further away. As he closes the door, he says in a clipped voice, He has lived many years and seen and done any number of horrible things. Why should he not have any number of nightmares? I do not care. The door closes with a final heavy thud. Hop dreams. He dreams of rain and dark empty streets, hard cobblestone under his feet as he runs. He is looking for someone. Or is he running away? It doesn't seem to matter. It's always the same dream. It always ends in him slipping on the wet stone. As he falls, there is no floor to catch him. He falls into darkness, deeper and deeper, sinks into it until he thinks he's drowning, and then he remembers how it feels to drown. When he wakes up, he gasps and coughs, pulling in lungfuls of air. When he looks around, he almost wishes he was dreaming again. He doesn't know how long he's been here. He is kept in a cellar and there is no daylight to count the days by. He has kept time by how often the guards change and he thinks he has been here around a month. He has counted the times they have killed him. 39, which tracks roughly with a death per day. Thirty-nine times the man who has not yet introduced himself to him has ordered his goons to shoot him, stab him, choke him, drown him, bleed him. That one took the longest so far, his blood replenishing almost too fast for him to die. Almost. Until the man had grown impatient after having observed the process long enough and cut his throat. The floor around him is filthy with dried blood. His clothes and body are drenched in sweat and filth. Hob is hungry. Starvation will not kill him, he knows. Neither will thirst, but he hates the feeling more than anything. He tries not to sink into despair. It will do him no good, he knows. He focuses not on the pain or the fear or the absolute madness that his captors refuse to talk to him, but on tiny details instead. The number of buttons on the guard's uniform, the number of cracks in the stone floor, the different ways his stranger's face did show emotions in minuscule movements. 
he tries not to think of him. The memory of their last meeting is still a fresh wound on his heart, and in his darkest moments he cries and prays for his stranger's safety. Because if they had got him, who's to say they couldn't get his friend as well? On the fortieth day, the man steps into his cell and looks down his nose at him. Hop looks back, unimpressed. They have cried a lot of ways to kill him, only few remain. He hopes that they won't set him on fire. He remembers the great fire and shudders. Please, not that. I believe we have reached the point where you know what kind of man you're dealing with, Robert Scatling, the man says, and Hop's mouth falls open in surprise. He is finally speaking to him, but is it a good or a bad thing, he thinks. The man continues. Yes, I know who you are. I have been watching you for several years. I had to make sure you are what you claim to be. Not a demon, nor fae, but an immortal man. Now I am prepared to make you stay here a lot more comfortable, provided you agree to give me truthful information. Hop swallows, hope bubbling in his chest, despite the man knowing him. What he knows can't be all of it, right? Be assured, however, that should you lie to me or betray my trust, I will return you to the cellar and cut your organs out for selling. You'd be surprised how many medical students and doctors are prepared to pay a pretty penny for a fresh human heart. Hop nods, dazed. He'll figure something out. He'll play along and find a way to escape. Some opportunity will surely present itself. What other choice is there? He nods again, his mouth too dry to speak. Satisfied with his reaction, the man gives a thin smile. Very good. My name is Roderick Burgess. We have a lot to talk about, Mr. Gadling. Storms of Life Part 1 of the Storms of Life series A Sandman Potfic Written by Torte and read by Literarian Chapter 2 Summary 
Dream finally looks at Hop's book. Death, so called, is a thing that makes men weep. And yet, a third of life is passed in sleep. Lord Byron Time goes by faster after he is let out of the cellar. Burgess grants him a few days to get his bearings and strength back. Hop gets a room, with barred windows, but with a bed, a bath and food and drink. He takes full advantage of everything Burgess offers, if only to make him think him a grateful fool. Better the man thinks his will broken, Hop muses. It will make playing him a lot easier. And so he puts on a meek demeanor and shows respect, as if he's afraid to go back to the cellar. He is, but not as much as he lets Burgess believe. Also, he tells himself. The first nights in a bed in over a month have him dreaming repeatedly about Burgess with a dozen arms, everyone carrying a knife, coming for him from all sides, cutting out parts of him, labelling them after careful inspection while he chokes on his blood. Every night he jolts awake with a scream and lies awake for the rest of the night, terrified. My lord, do you think it is time to check on... Lucien, he warns, but she huffs and continues brusquely. With all due respect, sir, I believe whatever it is your acquaintance and you have argued about, you will not like the fact that his dreams are... Enough! Thunder rolls through the throne room as Dream Lord rises to a fearsome height to tower over his librarian. Must I forbid you from touching his books? Or will you stop speaking about this like I ordered you? Dream seethers. Lucien stares back at him in defiance. She clutches a book to her chest. He grabs at it. Give that to me. You will not talk about him to me again. Have I made myself clear? She releases the book and Dream pulls it from her hands and throws it behind himself onto the steps of his throne. Yes, my lord. Lucienne grits her teeth and stalks out without his leave. He lets her go. The book has fallen open on its latest page onto the steps, and Dream gives it a dark look, contemplating setting it on fire. Destroying a dreamer's book would be equal to erasing part of their memory, though, and so he holds himself back. Despite himself, he steps closer to the book, and a few words catch his eye. 
Be safe. Dream frowns and finally picks up the linen-bound tome and reads the latest dream thoughts of Hobgatling. I can endure. I can endure anything as long as you are safe. Please be safe. I don't care if you'll never see me as more than a peasant, but I can't bear to think of what they'd do to you if they catch you. I'm running. I've been running towards you all my life. Is it still far? How much farther must I go? Where are you? If I stop, he'll catch me. If I stop, he'll cut me open. I don't know what to tell him. I've told him all I know, all I've learned over the centuries, but I haven't told him about you. He wants to know more. He wants to cut the secret out of me. The knives are everywhere. They reflect in his eyes when he asks me how I am not dead yet, again, again, and I say I don't know. I am running. If I reach you, will he catch you too? Don't let me reach you then. Don't let him catch you. I can endure. Dream's hand shakes and he almost drops the book. He grabs it tightly and flicks back through the pages quickly. Dream after dream, nightmares really, have Hop running and falling, terror and pain spilling from his words. And interspersed with them, again and again, are pleas addressed to Dream. He knows, even without his name, but not for his help, no, but for his safety, to not fall into the same trap as Hob. You can be hurt or captured. Dream has sunk to the stairs while reading, and the light in the throne room has gone dim and reddish. He closes the book with a thud and stares at the golden thread stitches across its cover. Robert Gatling, Dream Journal, 1889 to Present. Dream presses his lips into a tight line and puts the book into his coat. Then he rises and steps towards a small side door, opening it to the library. He is impatient, and so the library is right behind this door at this moment. His librarian is nowhere to be seen, but he speaks into the library anyway, knowing she will hear it. Lucien, I... He searches for words, but can't bring himself to voice an apology. I acknowledge that your concern towards a certain dreamer seems justified. I will attend to the matter in the waking world. Please send Jessamie if there is any urgent business. He doesn't wait for an answer and steps back into his throne room. He pulls out his pouch and pours sand into the air to form a portal. I can endure. Please be safe. He pulls on his helmet and steps through the portal with clenched fists.
Mr. Gatling, you would honestly have me believe that you have close to no knowledge about the man you are meeting once a century. I have been patient and waited for you to tell me in your own time, but my patience is running out. Hop flinches when Burgess hits the tabletop in front of him with his cane. Hop knows it hides a blade, and even though he always thought himself a man not easily intimidated, the months of dying and then dreaming of dying have taken their toll. Granted, Burgess has only killed him once since he let him out of the cellar. Hop had been foolish and tried to sneak out at night. He had picked the lock of his room and almost made it to the front door before a huge Doberman had barred his path in the foyer and woken the whole household with its barking. A shot had been the last he heard before he blacked out. When he awoke, his face was crusted with blood and he was back in his room. Not the cellar, thank God but with an iron shackle around his ankle that tied him to the wall on a chain just long enough to move around the room, but no further. That had been three weeks ago. He has told Burgess everything he can think of, except about his stranger. Here and there he has been able to satisfy the man with obscure knowledge about past kingdoms and treasures, secrets of noble families he can exploit, and predictions for future investments that might come in handy, given that they come from someone who's gathered a lot of experience over the centuries. But now Hob is running on fumes. He cannot give Burgess what he truly wants, the secret to his immortality, and once the man realizes that, he is of no further use to him. His nightmares fill in the blanks. They are full of blades and blood. Hob is no stranger to pain and can take his fair share of psychological torture as well, but what gets him is the fear that Burgess will somehow find and capture his stranger in attempts to reveal Hop's secret. Hop has, in all his years, never found a single clue where his stranger dwells when he is not meeting him in the tavern, but maybe Burgess has more reach and knowledge than he thinks. He knew everything about Hop at least back to the 16th century, and Hop had been careful with records and everything. Well, obviously not careful enough, but there had been a time where he didn't care about anything. Who's to say Burgess can't find out more about his stranger than Hop has? Robert. Hop snaps back to attention at the tone in Burgess's voice. He's sitting on his bed, as there's only one chair in the room, which his captor usually takes when they talk. Burgess is standing over him now, a menacing glint in his eyes, hands tight around his cane. Hop clears his throat. 
Yes, I... I met him, as you know, once a century. But I don't know his name. I know nothing about him, truly. And yet you are so familiar with him that you had him running out the door and chased after him, shouting, and I quote, I'll be here in a hundred years' time. If you're here then too, it'll be because we're friends. Burgess smiled cruelly. Am I correct? Hop draws a shaky breath. Yes. So you are friends. At least you thought you are. I do not believe that you have no knowledge of a being you claim to be friends with, Robert. He shakes his head and swallows hard around the lump in his throat. I imagined it. He got so angry. He left. You saw. Or your man. I don't know him. I only thought I did. I can't tell you anything. The top of the cane is suddenly under Hop's chin, lifting it up so he has to look Burgess in the eyes. It digs into his throat, and Hop starts to sweat. Did he grant you your immortality? I... I don't know. He never said if it was him. What is his name? I don't know. The cane digs into his throat so hard that Hop leans back, but Burgess follows, pushing until Hop is flat on his back on the bed. I don't believe you. I will put you back in the cellar if you don't tell me how you came about this gift. I will make you beg for true death. There's so much I have not yet done to you, Robert. Do not think me above it, if it means I make you talk. He emphasizes his last words with a sharp strike of the cane across Hop's cheek, then he steps back and writes his suit coat with a huff. Hop stays still and doesn't sit up. He breathes harshly and tries to calm down. He has to bite his tongue to not tell Burgess that even when being repeatedly drowned or burning to a crisp, he has not begged for death and he does not believe that Burgess will be the one to make him do that. Inciting the man's anger further will make things only worse, and so he stays silent as he hears Burgess turn towards the door and gasp. Who are you? How did you get in here? Hop lifts his head and, ignoring the throb in his head from the blow, sits up. There's a tall man in a black robe standing in the corner of the room. His head looks like a weird, horrible bird with giant eyes like an insect that glow in a dark red light. Shadows spread from where he stands and Hop shuffles back on the bed as far as the chain will let him. 
The head of the man seems to be made of some shining material. Is it a helmet? Burgess has lifted his cane and shouts, Be gone, demon! You have no power here! This is my house! Be silent! A deep, angry voice booms like a bell underwater, filling the room and stopping Burgess in his tracks. Hop shivers violently. It can't be. The being raises a hand and almost casually grabs Burgess by the throat. I would have you know that if I were not forbidden from killing mortals, you, Roderick Burgess, would be dead. Every word is spoken slowly, carefully, to make the man understand their truth. Hop knows that voice, even distorted by the helmet. He grips the bedding tightly and realizes he has been holding his breath. He takes a shuddering gasp of air and the stranger twitches as if coming out of a trance. He releases Burgess, who stumbles back with a cough. His wild eyes fly to Hob, and he quickly unsheathes the rapier from his cane and has it at Hob's throat again in a second. Hob is grudgingly impressed. He didn't think the man could move this fast. But the shadows are darkening, and while Burgess screams at him, they are filling the room more and more. This is your doing, isn't it? You can't scare me with this. Send your spirit whence it came, or I'll run you through. Hop smiles. I have no power over him. I told you. I know nothing. And you can run me through, but I'll rise again. And you won't. He sees the rage and panic flicker in Burgess's eyes and steals himself for the blade pushing through his throat, feels its tip pierce his skin, but the expected pain doesn't come. There's a glittering cloud of sand enveloping his captor and the rapier clutters to the floor. Burgess follows and falls ungracefully onto the carpet. His eyes are empty and he twitches wildly, panicked breaths escaping him. Hop looks at him for a second before quickly staring at the being filling the whole room with liquid darkness and flickers of otherworldly flames from its robes. Hop swallows heavily. His pulse is off the chart he knows. He opens his mouth and manages to say, voice still shaking, Hello, old stranger. Finally, the giant shadow takes off its helmet and steps towards Hobbs' bed as a familiar man in a long black coat. Hello, Hobbs. 
His voice is rough and cracking. His eyes are rimmed in red. He looks tired, and Hop frowns in concern. You look rough. Everything all right? Hop asks softly. His stranger's eyes widen, and he steps even closer, putting one knee on the bed. Slowly, he leans over Hob and touches his fingers to his throat. They come away bloody, and his stranger visibly swallows. You would think about me before your own well-being, Hob, after all you've had to endure. His other hand comes up to touch the cheek Burgess's cane has struck, and Hop feels like his brain isn't working anymore. Both cool hands of his stranger are against his skin, and he feels completely overwhelmed. He swallows and chokes against the tears threatening to well up. I always worry about you he whispers. Then he manages, I don't want to be a burden, but could you please get me out of here? His stranger's eyes burn with the light of stars, and his words are a vow, unbreakable. I will get you away from here, Hope. His gaze falls on the shackle around Hop's right ankle, and Hop thinks if his look alone could melt it, it would. Instead, his stranger touches it delicately, and the iron turns to sand, releasing Hop's leg. He sighs. Oh, thank you. His stranger only nods, and then gently grabs Hop by the shoulders and draws him into an embrace. Hop gasps and flails for a second before putting his arms around the narrow back of his friend and sinking into him. His heart is beating faster and he hides his face in his stranger's shoulder, embarrassed. He smells of rain and a bit of the sea, of eiderdown and warmth. It makes Hop inexplicably tired. His stranger's voice is soft like a lullaby. Sleep, Hop. I will take you home. Sleep, my friend. Hop sleeps. The Storms of Life 
part one of the Storms of Life series. A Sandman Potfic, written by Torte and read by Literarian. Chapter 3 Summary Mother Hen Dream tries to find a bed for his friend, but instead they walk a lot. Be thou the rainbow in the storms of life, the evening beam that smiles the clouds away and tints tomorrow with prophetic ray. Lord Byron Angry voices pull him from a dreamless sleep. But this is the home of Robert Gedling. Not anymore, it isn't. He didn't show up for two months, left no message, paid no rent. I waited for three weeks out of the goodness of my heart, sir, but after that I had to rent the room out again. I ain't made of money, sir. Can't have them back. The house is full. Hob opens his eyes and is confused by the strange perspective. His stranger's face hovers above him and he can see the ceiling of his apartment house. He feels strangely weightless and realizes with mortification that his stranger is carrying him in his arms and is apparently engaged in a verbal spat with his landlord. His dark eyes sparkle dangerously and he growls, You will find room or I will... Hop decides this is his cue. Sorry, uh, can I uh, get a word in? Hop gives his surprised stranger an awkward smile and his indignant landlord a little wave. Sorry, dear, could you put me down, please? His stranger frowns as if reluctant to release Hob, and it does make his stomach swoop fiercely, but finally sets him down after several seconds. He quickly brushes himself off in an attempt to appear less undignified, barefoot and half-clothed in only trousers and shirt, and gives his landlord his most charming smile. I'm so sorry. I got hit over the head and forgot my name and all, and they put me in the sanatorium until I recovered my memory. My acquaintance here got me out only today and brought me to my latest address. I got hit by a spell of dizziness on the way. Head is still a bit tender, you know. <laughs> anyway, so sorry to bother you. I will pay you the lost three weeks of rent, of course, once I've settled in somewhere new. Have a good day, sir. He grabs his stranger's sleeve and pulls him quickly out the door. He follows him with a bewildered expression. Hob. Not here. Hob stalks on until they're a few streets away and steps into an empty alley. Only then does he realize that he is still holding on to his stranger's sleeve. He hastily lets go and mumbles an apology. Sorry, I thank you for getting me out of Burgess's house and bringing me to my 
well, my former lodgings, but I... I... He looks around quickly. I'm concerned Burgess may still be watching this place. In case you showed up, probably. I didn't tell him anything about you, mind, but... I know. The stranger interrupts him gently. Hop finally looks at him. His friend... And had he imagined him call him friend back before falling asleep? Still looks exhausted. There are deep shadows under his eyes, and his posture as one hop isn't used to see on him, stooped and almost timid. He is still beautiful. Hop blushes and looks back down at his bare feet. No shoes, no coat. All right. First things first. He takes a deep breath and clenches his fist. I'll be fine from here. I don't want to keep you unnecessarily. I have a stash of money hidden away in case of emergency, and provided the old goat hasn't caught wind of that too, I'll be all set to start anew in a day or two. His stranger seems to droop even further. You want me to leave? Hop's head shoots up, eyes wide. What? No, this is... I only thought I'd have taken up enough of your time already. It's not been a hundred years, right? <laughs> he tries for a laugh, but it falls flat, and his friend's face looks pained. He tries again, unable to keep the truth out of his words. Listen, I... I'm sorry for calling you lonely, for wanting to force you to admit to being... I... I... He falters, unsure what he wants to say. I am very grateful that you would still come to my rescue despite all that. You can name any price. I will gladly pay it. His stranger stares wide-eyed at him and frowns. There is no price, Hobgatling. His face turns softer and he quietly adds, I only did what any friend would do. This time he has not imagined it. Hop is sure. He feels the blush rise on his cheeks again and smiles despite himself. Then thank you again for your help, my friend. His stranger gives him a small smile and takes a step closer. Hop has to lift his head a bit to meet his eyes. Have you got taller since we last met? His friend smirks. I am always exactly as tall as I want to be, Hop. Oh, so the fact that you are towering over me right now, that's intentional? 
His voice is playful, but his stranger's face grows concerned. Does it make you uncomfortable? Hop laughs. <laughs> what, you? Nah, I find it charming. It's almost like you want to be big enough to protect me. Uh... He realizes too late what he said and wonders if he should take it back. But his friend is smiling again. Perhaps. Hop knows he's definitely blushing now, and there is no way his stranger doesn't see it. He clears his throat and shuffles his feet, which makes him again aware of his lack of shoes. Right, I would love to get dressed, actually. Do you... Want to accompany me? See if my hidden stash is still there? You can protect me from any of Burgess's men, should they be looking for me, since you're apparently already in the mood for that? It is cheeky and presumptuous, but his stranger only hums deeply, like a purr, a sound that goes straight to Hop's groin, and he shifts from one foot to the other awkwardly. Yes, if you will allow me, I would guard you until you have regained your footing, Hobgadling. He swallows and manages a nod. I would be glad, my friend. Hop's hidden stash is apparently not easily accessible, even for him. Dream wonders if he should offer his assistance when Hop curses under his breath for the fourth time as he's trying and failing to pull something out of a narrow hole in a harbour wall near Limehouse. God's fucking wounds, come on! I'll Get you, you slimy, slippery little bugger! Ha! Triumphantly, he raises a small package into the air. It's wrapped in oilskin and smells strongly of rotten fish. Dream wrinkles his nose, but Hop seems unbothered. With a grin, he unwraps the package and pulls out a small wooden box. In it lies an iron key. Dream raises an eyebrow. A key? Yes, for a storage unit I bought two decades ago. I was careful not to have my name or even any of my old names show up on any of the contracts because it's meant for exactly this kind of emergency. In the case of someone connecting too many dots... But Jess should not have been able to trace this back to me. How much did he uncover about you? Dream asks. Hop frowns. Too much. I was too careless in covering my tracks. The names were probably the sloppiest, but I can't bring myself to go around as Martin or, or John or something. 
There's too little consistency in my life. I can't give up the one thing that... Well, I can't give up my name. He looks frustrated and sad, and Dream has no idea what to say. Roderick Burgess will not trouble you again, he says, in hopes of alleviating some of Hobbes' fear. The man looks up at him. Dream thinks that he likes being taller than Hobb. He likes to have him look up at him like this with fondness and something like wonder, with trust. He wants to make Hobb feel safe. It's the least he can offer after two months of nightmares. What exactly did you do to him? It looked like what you did to Lady Johanna. Lady Johanna Constantine awoke a few hours after we left. Roderick Burgess will not wake, he says with finality. Hob looks surprised. Never? Not until he dies. Hob exhales harshly and rubs his chin. Christ, I'm glad you like me. <laughs> he startles and blushes, waving his hands wildly. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to imply... I do. What? I do like you, Hop. I do not make a habit of meeting people I don't like on the regular. Well, except for political reasons. Hop's cheeks are flaming and Dream feels himself flush a bit at the sight. He feels bitter, though, and obligated to add, It is not something that would shield you from my wrath, though. Hob looks confused now, nervously twirling the key between his fingers while they slowly start walking again, falling into step beside each other. The hour is late and the docks are empty. Graham keeps an eye on the shadows all the same. What do you mean? Graham looks away. I have been known to be cruel to the people I care for, he says quietly. Yes, I have been cruel to you. You haven't? Hop seems genuinely bewildered at his words. Dream frowns and stops walking, stepping into Hop's way. Hop, I could have saved you a month ago. I could have saved you the first night you had a nightmare under Burgess's roof. I could have stayed and finished our meeting and you would never have been taken. I did not. You would not call that 
cruel. Hop shakes his head. But Jess was already on to me. Me shouting about a hundred years in the road only finally made him act. That's not on you. As for saving me... He gulps and looks away from Dream. I heard you. I understand that you needed time to forgive me. Dream is at a loss for words again. He reaches out and touches Hop's shoulder. The man shivers and looks back up. Hop. Oh. No, I know I hurt your pride and I'm sorry for misjudging the situation, but you were so relaxed and you were smiling like you genuinely enjoyed my company and I thought <sighs> we were on the same page. And I was proud and foolish and wanted to hear you say it. I'm sorry. Dream grips his shoulder tighter and something sparks in Hobbs' eyes. Trepidation, a hint of worry. Dream hates that look. The next words do not come easily, but he forces himself to speak truthfully. Stop apologizing. You already did. It is forgiven. And yes, I do enjoy your company. He starts walking again, relieved to hear Hop following close behind after a bare second, a new spring in his step. The Storms of Life Part 1 of the Storms of Life series A Sandman Potfic Written by Torte and read by Literarian Chapter 4 Summary There are complications. Hop is not as hardened as he thinks he is. Dream snaps. You gave me the key to your heart, my love. Then why did you make me knock? Lord Byron The way to his storage unit seems short to Hob, even though he has to trudge barefoot through half of London. His stranger does not leave his side and they spend most of the walk in silence. But it feels companionable. Hob is usually not scared of the dark, but the last two months have been rough and he stays as close to his stranger as he can. He makes him feel safe, 
tall and dark and very much present, almost brushing shoulders with Hob. Hob thinks that might be his intention, to make him feel protected. It makes his heart ache softly. I enjoy your company. I do like you, Hob. Every time he recalls the words, he feels his pulse speed up and his cheeks grow hot. He has been stewing in his feelings for centuries and has tried not to entertain any hope of reciprocation on his stranger's part. He is obviously a being of higher power, whatever form it may be. Still, friendship seemed possible after 1789, and now he has the confirmation, even if he had to get captured and tortured for his friend to admit to it so soon. Hobbes' feelings for his friends run a lot deeper still, but he does not dare dream of more than this. Hobbes almost sighs loudly when they reach their destination. The warehouse where he has bought an old coal storage. He had paid well for its upkeep and inconspicuous protection through accounts in the name of one Harold Farthing, who doesn't exist except on paper. He is happy to see that there is a man loitering around the building. Surely that must be the unobtrusive guard that has been stationed. He approaches the man with a smile his stranger hovering right behind him. Good evening, sir. Mr. Farthing sends me to check up on things. My name is Gatlin, Robbie Gatlin. The man looks up at him and smirks. Yeah, Gatlin, you say? Not Gatling? You sure are dumb when picking your names, aren't you, Robert? The smile falls from Hobbs' face. He looks closer at the man. He recognizes him now. It's one of the guards who were stationed in the cellar. One of the men who shot him, who stabbed him, who... He stumbles back as the images of this man's hands on his throat and in his hair rush over him. He chokes against oncoming Noria. He is being pushed underwater, held firm while they cut him open, cruel and cold eyes staring down at him. He stumbles another step back and falls against a soft but unmoving wall. Hub. He looks up, eyes searching wildly for his stranger's face. He looks at him with concern and something else, something dark and dangerous, and Hop thinks he might know. The guard pulls out a revolver. Don't know what you did to old Bajess, but his son isn't much pleased. He'd like you to come back and explain things. Make the old man wake up again. No. His stranger has pushed himself smoothly between Hob and the guard, and Hob is clinging to his coat. 
He's trying not to hyperventilate, and the thought of apologizing enters his head only to fall out of it almost as quickly. He has thought himself hardened enough to not be overwhelmed by things like this, but seeing this man here makes the memories rush back. The way the man had looked at him in the cellar has stuck with him. Like he enjoyed torturing him. Like he would enjoy doing much more to Hop than what he was told to. Why does it have to be this man? Hop feels utterly useless, terrified despite himself, caught in a memory even though he knows it's over. He tries to breathe and calm down. His stranger seems to grow even taller, throwing a long black shadow over the man. His voice sounds like it's being dredged up from the sea. have hurt him repeatedly and found pleasure in it. You have dreamed of hurting him more. Hop flinches violently. Suddenly his stranger is vibrating, a low, rumbling, angry sound rising from the depths of him that strangely makes Hop feel better. I would guard you. The other man doesn't seem to notice the change in atmosphere. He gives a short laugh, feeling secure because he's pointing a gun at them. Hey, yeah, it was fun, right, Robbie? Would have liked to visit you alone, have some more fun together, just the two of us. Someone who can't die, what a toy to play with. Hop is suddenly clutching empty air and he falls to his knees. His stranger is no longer standing in front of him, but is moving purposefully towards Burgess's man, who raises the gun. Hey, stop or I'll shoot! The stranger does not stop, and the man shoots. Hop blanches as the shots ring out, two, three times, but his stranger doesn't slow, doesn't even flinch. He becomes a black shape of roiling darkness that envelops the guard like a twitching mass of limbs that remind Hop of deep-sea creatures. His stranger is silent, but the man starts screaming in horror. There's another shot, and then there's only frantic cries of terror from inside the mass of darkness that turn into whimpers and sobs, and finally fall silent. Hop watches with more fascination than horror, as the thing that is his stranger slowly dislodges the guard and leaves him lying, twitching on the ground. The dark shape roils and coils around itself, seemingly still angry, unable to form a shape. Arms like tentacles thrust out of it without any semblance of controlled motion. It seems like his stranger's form is unstable. 
his stranger, who protected him. Again. Hop draws a shuddering breath and then pulls himself to his feet. He spares a glance at the guard. Like Burgess, he is lying still, eyes open but unseeing, his breathing shallow. Hop quickly looks away, not keen on reliving more bad memories, and steps slowly closer to the being, carefully putting out his hand. My friend, he tries, and a black tendril shoots out of the mass and almost curls around his wrist, but is pulled back at the last moment. The entire roiling body shivers and writhes, and Hob swallows heavily. Gently lays a hand on the inky, shuddering surface. It feels like touching silk, but looks and gleams wetly like the skin of an eel or a snake. Here and there he thinks he sees feathers stick out of the surface. Thank you. Again you have saved me, my friend. He carefully touches his other hand to the black skin as well. The being lurches and moans, and then Hob is being pulled in. He feels adrenaline spike for a moment, and the urge to flee is strong, but he suppresses it and grits his teeth. He closes his eyes and doesn't resist the pull. I'm here. I'm all right. It's all right, my friend. Please calm down. Hop feels himself sucked further into the mass and tries not to panic. This is his friend. He did this to himself for Hop. He refuses to be afraid. He takes a deep breath, but before his head is pulled under, the suction stops. Hop holds himself perfectly still. Almost all of his body has been pulled into the twining shadows and limbs. He can feel something soft and delicate flutter and pulsate under his fingertips deep inside. He caresses it softly, unable to resist. He whispers, That's it. Everything is fine. You saved me. It's all good. There is a gust of wind like a shuddering sigh from a giant and Hop feels himself be released. The black coils of tentacles and shadows untangle and flutter away like moths of smoke that evaporate into the night air, leaving only the stooped, thin shape of his stranger before him, narrow shoulders hunched up, hands hidden in his coat. He does not look at Hob, he stares at where Hob's fingers are touching his breast. His face is ashen. His chest heaves. Hop slowly pulls back his hands. 
he thinks that his friend looks a bit like on the night of their last meeting, close to tears and full of rage. It doesn't seem to be directed at Hob. Now that he thinks about it, it hadn't looked like it was that night either. His stranger is angry with himself, he realizes. And he would have already stalked away like that night if not for the promise he has made to see Hop to safety. Are you all right, my friend? He asks carefully, searching his stranger's face. The other inhales sharply and meets his eyes for a moment, they are pitch black and red pinpricks of light shine where pupils should be. But Hob is not scared. Not for himself. Then there is a ripple in the air and Hob feels his ears pop. The atmosphere suddenly feels less oppressive and his stranger is once again standing straight-backed and rigid. He blinks slowly and his eyes return to their usual blue. He takes a deliberate step back from Hob and spares a glance at the goon on the floor beside them. His mouth curls in disgust. I am fine. The stranger's voice is rough and he speaks slowly, as if having to use effort to form the words. He jerks his chin towards the warehouse and rasps, You should see if your things are still retrievable. There is no one inside. Hop exhales shakily, and pulls a hand through his hair. Fine. He didn't really expect the stranger to be forthcoming with an explanation. If his friend does not want to speak about what just happened, he will have to accept that. For now. All right. He turns to the warehouse door and fumbles with the key. The door opens without a problem. The lock hasn't been broken. Maybe Burgess had only guessed at his involvement with this place and only kept an eye on it in case he showed up. He finds matches and a gas lamp at the entrance and lights it. Hob feels a smile grow on his face as he steps inside and finds familiar items already in sight. An old oak wardrobe that should be filled with several suits, paintings and chests, hopefully still filled with jewellery and treasure he can turn into funds. These are not all the treasures he has stashed away over the centuries, just a portion, enough for a new beginning. Looks like it's all still here he says, while opening a few of the chests. Burgess's son is still looking for me. I'll have to leave London for a while and lay low in the countryside. But this will make it possible, I think. You will need no further assistance from here. 
His friend's voice comes from outside. He has not stepped into the warehouse, but is lingering in the doorway. Hop whips around to look at him, his heart dripping. You're... you're leaving? His stranger stares down his nose at him, more cold and distant than Hop has seen him in centuries. It makes Hop worry more than the monstrous pile of limbs earlier. I have responsibilities. Hop gulps and tries to calm his racing heart. Yes, of course, he murmurs. He doesn't dare voice his worries. He still needs to get out of London undetected by Randall Burgess. What if more of his men are watching the train station and carriages, the ships? For a moment, he imagines with clarity some of the other men who have killed him, surrounding him in an alley, knives and guns drawn. He feels a shiver run through him, and when he looks at his friend, there is a sudden sparkle in his eyes. I will take care of anyone who pursues you, Hop. His gaze softens. I would not see you hurt again. Hop gives him a wobbly smile, relief flooding through him. Thank you, my friend, for everything, truly. He takes heart and adds, Will I see you again, before the hundred years are over? His friend pulls his coat tighter around himself and turns away. That would be unwise. What? Why? Hop asks, confused, and steps toward the entrance to follow his friend, but his stranger has already vanished around the corner of the building. When Hop rounds it, he is gone. He curses under his breath. And I still don't know your name. There is no answer. The Storms of Life Part 1 of the Storms of Life series A Sandman Potfic Written by Torte and read by Literarian Chapter 5 Summary Hop's dreams make it hard for Dream to keep his distance. The hope, the fear, the jealous care, 
the exalted portion of the pain and power of love I cannot share, but wear the chain. Lord Byron After he has made sure that there are no other threads in Hobbes' direct vicinity, Rehm almost flees the warehouse and Hobbes' presence. He steps back into his palace and stoically greets Jessamy and Lucienne, who are waiting in the hall. They have questions, but he doesn't listen. All he says is, I took care of things. There's no need to worry about Hobgatling any longer. He leaves them whispering and hurries to his rooms. Inside, he falls against the wall, feeling faint. The weather in the dreaming already betrays his emotions again, storm clouds gathering on the horizon. It irks him. He lost control in the waking world. He had let his anger blind him and fallen on the offending human with all the horror of his being. He had seen the man's dreams and fantasies and had turned them on him, so he will from now on know all the terror and pain he has inflicted. Upon Hob. Hob, his friend. Hob, who stepped towards him even as he fought for control of his furious form, who touched him. Graham touches his chest and remembers Hop's fingers brush against his core, imagines his flesh still burning with the touch. He gasps and sinks to the floor. Foolish! This human who wants to be his friend, who doesn't even know what Graham is, who would let him pull him in... He buries his face in his hands. The urge had been so strong to pull this glowing human into his nightmarish self to maybe be able to leech off of his brightness, his hope. Rain patters against the walls of the castle and onto his balcony. He sighs heavily. He needs to get himself under control. Control. Something he seems to regularly lose when it comes to Hobgadling. He will have to put him out of his mind for the next hundred years. One such as him does not need friends. He is not human. He is above this. He will get over it. But there is one more matter to attend to. He promised Hop protection and he never breaks his word. Dream rises and steps onto his balcony, watching the rain clouds. He closes his eyes, lets the rain hit his face and searches for Hop's dreams in his mind. He looks for the faces of his captors, follows them to their own dreams and, gritting his teeth in fury, sets to work. 
lightning strikes, and the storm hits the castle once more. Hop leaves London without any further incident. He cuts his hair and travels as one Andrew Pollock. It hurts, but he can't afford to be found again. He'll take a name more like his own once a few decades have gone by, and settles quickly in a quaint little village on the eastern British coast. He has found a cottage for sale and, posing as a returnee from the last war in Sudan, keeps to himself on the grounds of needing quiet, having been honorably discharged due to sickness and soldiers' fatigue. As he is still flinching at loud noises like doors being thrown shut or knives clattering in the kitchen of the village inn, his cover is apparently believable enough for the locals. In truth, Hop would prefer to socialize more, but he doesn't dare yet. He only hires a maid to do the cleaning and laundry every few days, but does the cooking and everything else himself. Sitting in the garden of his cottage is pleasant but lonely. He starts tending the old rose bushes and the garden to have something to do. He likes the work. He used to do a bit of gardening in the early 16th century, and is happy to find that he has retained most of what he learned back then. At night, he dreams of rainy pastures, lonely streets, and sometimes of the cellar. Those are not like the nightmares he's had before, though. He is chained to the cellar wall, and the men with knives come for him, but before they reach him, a black shape steps between them. It envelops the men, and their knives clatter to the floor. When the dark shape turns towards him, there's no trace of them left. Two red stars of light look at him, and he wakes up. Hop always tries to go back to sleep after, in hopes of continuing the dream, to have one more moment with his stranger, even if it's just a dream, but it never works. If he manages to fall asleep again at all, there are no more dreams until morning. Months go by, and the dreams get fewer. Hop only dreams of the cellar maybe once a fortnight at most. He is almost sorry for the fact, even though they probably count as nightmares. Every time he tries to reach out to his stranger, but his hands are chained to the wall and he can't. When he manages to call out to him, the shade only stares at him, expressionless, but Hop imagines he can feel him drifting a tiny bit closer every time. He hopes he does, even though the shape has sharp claws and blood-red eyes. If his stranger won't meet him until 1989, Hop will take any minute with him in any way he can, even imaginary.
A reddish sunset tints the dreaming into a rosy light. Some find it beautiful, others worrying. Lucienne belongs to the latter category, especially since it's been sunset for months now. The thunderstorms and rain have ceased. Only occasionally a shower of rain hits the castle, but quickly vanishes again. The Dream Lord takes care of his kingdom like usual. Only those closest to him recognize the subtle difference in his behavior. He will retire earlier than was his usual custom, and he is even more quiet than before. He seems, for lack of a better word, dejected. Lucienne wonders what happened with Hob Gatling. She doesn't dare ask her lord about it. It seems like the immortal remains a sensitive topic. She cannot check Hop Gatling's book because Dream has not returned it to the library, a fact that she will address soon, as is her duty. This night she only watches her lord with worry as he stares wistfully out at the pinkish hues of the sky before turning away to retreat to his rooms. Dream dreads the nights when Hop dreams of the place he was held captive. As Lord of the Dreaming, he has of course every right, but no obligation, to visit any dream or nightmare. As for dreams of himself, those are rare, because only few beings that dream have ever seen him but Hop has experienced his presence in the waking world more than most and can therefore dream of him with a clarity that draws him in every single time. It has so far effectively prevented him from forgetting about his immortal friend. The dreams start as nightmares until Hop dreams of him appearing to save him. Dream plays himself, like on a stage, dispatching the murderers with haste. He then withdraws as soon as he can. Seeing Hob chained to the wall, in various states of distress and undress, makes him feel uncomfortable. The Nightmare King of Hop's dreams wants to stay, wants to move closer to his next prey, Hob. Hob, who looks at him with awe and hope and need, not fear. Dream expertly resists the temptation to see where Hop's dream will go and leaves quickly, but every time he feels himself lingering a second longer, his feet moving an inch closer to his friend before he snaps himself out of it. This is not how he plans to spend the next hundred years. Instead of having put him out of his mind, all Dream can think of is Hobbes. Every evening is spent in trepidation until Hob goes to sleep, 
He tries to make Hop dream of other things, but the dream of the cellar still returns every few weeks. And despite his endless power and billions of years of practice in self-control, Grimm cannot resist the mesmerized look in Hop's eyes at the sight of him. He goes to rescue him every time. The Storms of Life Part 1 of the Storms of Life series A Sandman Potfic Written by Torte and read by Literarian Chapter 6 Summary This is not how it's supposed to go. This is a nightmare. Exactly. A tiny voice in his mind whispers. That's what it's supposed to be. Graham tries to teach Hob a lesson and is himself surprised. And when convulsive throes denied my breath, the faintest utterance to my fading thought, to thee, to thee, e'en in the gasp of death, my spirit turned, oh, oftener than it ought. Thus much and more, and yet thou lovest me not, and never wilt. Love dwells not in our will, nor can I blame thee, though it be my lot, to strongly, wrongly, vainly love thee still. Lord Byron Months turn into a year, then two. Andrew Pollock has grown a nice beard and is well-liked among the locals, and more than one mother has tried to introduce her daughter to him. He always makes excuses, goes even so far as to hint at certain things not working properly since he came back from the war. Hop still can't see himself marrying again, not after Eleanor. He has also no interest in any of the available women, or men. Annoying as it is, this time around Hop cannot stop thinking about his stranger. He has practice in the matter of forgetting about him for decades, at least in a way that has allowed him to enjoy life to the fullest. If he couldn't, the centuries since he has realized his true feelings for his friend would have been agony. Hop knows not to hope for his stranger's love. He has not even told him his name, 
And although he calls him friend now, his incredulous reaction at their meeting in 1889 had made it clear that his stranger is someone far above him, someone immensely powerful and possibly ancient, who balks at the mere suggestion of having a human friend. He is a god, maybe. But what god turns into a black ball of shadows and tentacles? A god of death, maybe? But the men who attacked Hob, Burgess, they are not dead. They are asleep. A god of sleep, then? Hob curses his choice of hideout for its lack of library. He orders a few books on mythology, but finds no helpful clues as to his stranger's identity. Still, no matter what his stranger is, who is Hob to hope for more than friendship? What good will it do him, this time around, to pine after him for the next hundred years? but he can't stop thinking about the burning look in his stranger's eyes when he fell against him in panic, glossy black limbs winding around him, the fluttering pulse under his fingers. It has been the most intimate he has ever witnessed his friend, the closest he has ever been allowed, and he can't stop thinking about him. His thoughts are turning around and around. Hop turns down invitations to dinner after dinner, knowing them as attempts to set him up with yet another pretty daughter, and stays in his cottage alone. In the evenings, he takes walks along the coast, watching the sky darken over the sea as the sun sinks behind him. Every night, Hop hopes for the dream of his stranger, even though it comes maybe once a month now. The shade has slowly moved towards him a tiny bit each time he dreams, and Hop can see the red bursts of starlight in his eyes glittering dangerously, the bloodless lips of his stranger parting as if in anticipation, the glint of sharp teeth behind them. There was only one step between them when Hop last woke from the dream. He has since waited for the weeks to go by with impatience. Has he thought about the possibility of his stranger truly being in his dreams? He has, especially since he seems to have power over sleep. Hop hopes fervently for this recurring dream to be a message of some sort, some strange way of his friend communicating with him. His attempts to speak to his friend's shadowy form have been unsuccessful so far. The look of those glowing eyes makes Hop's tongue knot itself in his mouth, and more often than not does he not even manage a single word. Last time he said, My friend, as the black shape lifted a claw to reach for him, 
That was all he managed before waking up. Summer has gone. It's a cool autumn night, and as Hop readies himself for bed, he feels a shiver run down his spine in anticipation. It's been more than a month. Maybe tonight? He takes a nightcap to calm his nerves and goes to sleep. Hop dreams of the cellar. He is again chained to the wall by the wrists, clad only in his nightshirt. Two men, one of them the guard they met at his warehouse, are coming towards him. This is all very familiar by now, Hop being used to the dream more than his own memory of the event it is based on. His stranger will appear in the next second and stop them. Except he doesn't. Hop frowns as nothing happens and the guard, who he knows is no longer a threat but still haunts his sleep, grins at him and lifts a long hunting knife. He sets the tip at Hop's collarbone and pulls the blade down, cutting a long, sharp line through his shirt and skin underneath, stopping at the bottom of his sternum, ready to push the blade in. No, Hop whispers, horrified. This is not how this dream usually goes. Will he not come? The man laughs and grabs Hop's chin, knife still poised between his ribs. How do you want to play tonight, Robbie? I like the knife, personally, but my friend, he is partial to ropes. Your choice, Robbie. Hop jerks his head away and whimpers. This is not how it's supposed to go. This is a nightmare. Exactly, a tiny voice in his mind whispers. That's what it's supposed to be. But you made it into something else, didn't you? You made it into your personal fantasy of him. I'm sorry, I didn't. This is not... Please! A black claw suddenly emerges from the right eye of the man in front of him and his mouth falls open in surprise. Blood runs down his face out of the ruin of his eye as the claw retreats and the guard topples over, vanishing below Hop's line of sight. There is no trace of the other man. Instead, his stranger is standing right in front of Hop, clad in black leather, his clawed hand lifted, his hair wild, his face terrible and grim. Shadows dance around him like smoke and feathers, some curling and writhing like tentacles. It's like he is pulling the night around him like a cloak. His teeth are sharp, his eyes are like black pits, and Hop is afraid for the first time since the dreams have started. He is suddenly absolutely sure that this is his stranger, not just a dream. 
He is here, in Hop's nightmare. And Hop is afraid he's done something wrong again. Hop, the stranger says, and his voice is like a grinding millstone. Hop shivers and tries to right himself, but slips in the blood pooling at his feet and falls against the wall with a small cry, limp in his shackles. A bloody claw slowly traces his jaw and pricks the skin underneath his chin as it tilts his head up. He meets his stranger's eyes and swallows heavily. Thank you, he whispers, but the Nightmare King leans closer and shows his shark's teeth in a snarl. Hope you don't know what you're doing. Hop feels his other clawed hand move up his torso, hook into the rib of his nightshirt where the knife cut into him and pull. The shirt rips open further until his stranger's claw touches below his navel. Hop feels his whole body tremble with a mixture of fear and arousal and another whimper escapes him. You would have a monster save you. Something in Hob rebels at the words, makes him speak despite the days he's in. You're not a monster, he gasps. His stranger makes a sound like the creaking of an old door that, Hob realizes after a second, is laughter. I am the monster. Of all monsters, and you would have me touch you. Two more hands of his stranger have moved to grab his wrists while the first trails down his throat. The second lays flat against his belly, claws pricking the soft skin of his lower abdomen. Hop wonders how many limbs he can have. Probably as many as he wants. He feels almost sick with dread, but still he shakes with a want he cannot explain. This is your dream. The shackles are your own fantasy. Hop. You dream yourself at my mercy. Hop moans at the words, at the truth of them. The king pushes himself against Hop, chest against chest, Hop's blood staining his black leather coat. He murmurs in his ear. Each time I have come, Closer. Next time, I will rip you to shreds. Do you still wish these dreams 
to continue. Hop swallows back a whine and resists the urge to strain up against his friend. Arousal and anxiety are making him confused, and all he can do is press his cheek against his strangers and say, I miss you. His stranger phrases, but Hop continues, lips against cold skin, tears stinging his eyes again. I miss you so much, all the time, for centuries. I'll take anything, any scrap of your time. Insolent human, the stranger growls and lets go of him. He leans back and Hop gapes. There's a tiny glow emanating from his friend's chest. It's a rosy color and pulsates slowly. His friend is staring down at it with the same surprise as Hob. He does not look quite as monstrous anymore, his hands no longer claws, his eyes wide with white stars in their midst. Hob reaches out. The shackles suddenly gone, but before he can touch the glowing spot, his friend lifts his head to look at him, and Hop sees the panic in his eyes, his mouth falling open. Hop shakes his head, whispers, Please, don't. But the stranger is already speaking. This dream is over. The Storms of Life Part 1 of the Storms of Life series A Sandman Potfic Written by Torte and read by Literarian Chapter 7 Summary Hop frets, dream broods, Lucienne demands a book back Away, away, ye notes of woe, be silent, thou one soothing strain, or I must flee from hence, for oh, I dare not trust those sounds again. To me they speak of brighter days, but lull the courts for now, alas, I must not think, I may not gaze on what I am, on what I was. Lord Baron. Hop wakes up. A cool breeze from the half-open window touches his face and he feels half-dried tear tracks on his cheeks. He looks to the window. The sky is dark still, 
Only the barest tint of grey-blue announces dawn to be not far away. The sweet smell of roses is in the night air. Hop feels indescribably sad, like he has lost something precious. He buries his face in his pillow and sheds a few more silent tears. He remembers the dream of the cellar, although it is fading a bit. Hop has seen the glow. He thinks he'll never forget its colour. He thinks he knows what it was. The soft flutter under his fingers. The delicate core of a black ball of rage and pain, so soft and vulnerable that the barest brush of his fingertips felt enough to damage it. He thinks that, that night at the warehouse, he has touched something his stranger would have never even allowed him to look at, much less touch. He has witnessed, he knows, the heart of his friend, or whatever it is that powers that multifaceted, beautiful being of his. It feels like blasphemy, suddenly, to have reached out for it again. The panic in his friend's eyes. Hop's stomach twists at the memory. He has hurt his friend again. Unwittingly, maybe, but because he wants too much, just like the last time. Hop is greedy, he knows, and he can only try and grab with both hands at everything his stranger puts before him, be it a human body or a monstrous one. He saw the glow of his friend's heart and immediately reached out, trying to grab at it like a magpie at a gleaming coin. As if it was his to touch. As if he had the right. He clenches his fingers into bedding, furious with himself for his forward behavior. He doesn't know how to manipulate his dreams. He doesn't know how to get his stranger's attention. He can only hope to see his friend again, even if he warned him of where the next dream of the cellar would lead. Will he dream of it again at all? Or has he pushed his friend away for good this time? In his mind, Hop puts himself in chains again, heavy and anchoring, so he won't take what he isn't allowed. So he won't touch without consent. If the dream returns, if his friend is there, then yes, Hop will be at his mercy and gladly. He owes him, the least of it being an apology. He prays he'll be allowed to give it. My lord, I really must insist. The library does not take kindly to prolonged absence of books. It has been two years. Graham scowls at her, but then pulls out the red book, 
and wordlessly hands it to her. Thank you, sir. Lucienne smiles pointedly and tucks Robert Gatling's latest dream journal against her chest. You are of course welcome to pursue it again at any time in the library. Graham's mouth twitches into a frown and he turns away. Lucienne wonders again at his mood. He still seems more preoccupied than usual with something only he himself is privy to. She will endeavor to find out what it is. She knows her lord is only ignoring the fact that she will read the book he just gave back to her so that they can both pretend she will not do so. This way she can't talk to him about whatever she finds without admitting to nosing around in his private affairs. It's a problem, but one for a later time. Lucienne makes her way back to the library and settles down to read. Dream sits on his throne and broods. Since he ended Hop Gatling's latest dream of him, he has felt a curious melancholy. I miss you. His heart had been laid open and Hop had reached out. I miss you so much. Graham feels again a pulse in his chest and a rosy light spills out of his robes. Annoyed, he waves his hand and is clad in a more closed dress that hides the proof of his weakness a tiny bit better. Unwittingly, Hop has touched his core the last time they met in the waking world and Dream is unable to control the way it now reacts to his proximity. His friend has drawn out this part of him tenderness, love. But that is not the part of him Hop needs. Hop needs him to protect him. He dreams of a monster to chase away his fears. He has seen his darkest side and decided he will not be afraid, that he'll make the horror his ally. Hop has seen him as the Nightmare King and only tried to pull him closer. What does Hop know of what multitudes dream of the Endless contains? Nothing. But he has seen the truth of him, the dark and horrible things he hides. That is enough to know him, is it not? Will you ask only for my most terrible form? Will you not see what else there is? If you can't see it, then perhaps it really was never there. And he could be content, he thinks, to be the horror Hop Gatling loves. He could be. Then why does it hurt? Why am I sad? 
soft rain falls again on the balcony. The sun has finally sunk in the dreaming and night has fallen. The night air smells like roses and dream inhales deeply, sighing before returning to his duties. Hop researches mythological beings and gods again. He thinks he may have found something that seems to fit his stranger. A Mara, Nachtmar, or an Alp. A creature that brings people bad dreams and feeds off their blood and energy. It sounds a bit simple to describe his stranger and somehow not fitting enough for the amount of power his friend seems to wield. But Hob has found nothing better yet. Maybe his stranger is something similar, but more like a god of nightmares, if such a thing exists. Hob shakes his head. His friend's lovely face seems too fair and earnest for such a monstrous being. The way he talks too sophisticated for a creature set only on devouring a sleeper's life force. Would a nightmare have told him not to enslave his fellow humans? Would he not rather have rejoiced in him creating more nightmares? No, his stranger is no such creature. I am no devil. Roderick Burgess will not wake. I am the monster of all monsters. I will rip you to shreds. Hop shivers and closes the book on German folklore he has been reading. He pours himself a whiskey and goes to sit in the garden. The evening air is mild and the roses are in full bloom. Hop pulls a pinkish one closer and a few soft petals fall loose into his palm. He gently strokes them between his thumb and forefinger and thinks about his friend's heart. What monster has a heart as soft as this? There's more to you than meets the eye, my friend. He doesn't think he'll ever be able to go back to how they were. Hop has seen and felt more of the truth of his stranger in the last two years than in all the centuries before. He still has no name to call his friend, but... I do like you, Hop. I would not see you hurt again. Hop sighs heavily and lets the rose petals flutter to the ground. I won't ever again be able to forget you long enough to fall in love with somebody else, Hop thinks and curses his foolish heart.
The Storms of Life Part 1 of The Storms of Life series A Sandman Potfic Written by Torte and read by Literarian Chapter 8 Summary Hob has made up his mind to try and reach out to his stranger. The only way that seems possible is through dreams. In secret we met, in silence I grieve, that thy heart could forget, thy spirit deceive. If I should meet thee after long years, how should I greet thee? With silence and tears. Lord Byron Hop has made up his mind to try and reach out to his stranger. The only way that seems possible is through dreams. He has had many a dream in which he at some point realized that he was dreaming and could then sometimes change its direction. He knows not how to control it and make himself aware of the fact while dreaming, but he figures that if he focuses hard enough before going to bed, that he might maybe be lucky enough to have such a dream again one night. He has no clue what else he can do. Every evening, Hop thinks of nothing but his stranger and his wish to apologize before going to sleep, yet he dreams of nothing for weeks. He still makes it his new bedtime routine, to concentrate on his wish to dream of his friend before lying down in bed. The villagers have given up on trying to invite him. Hop is a bit sorry for it, but cannot bring himself to care much. Still, so as not to make anyone too suspicious, he tries his best to be charming but apologetic and timid towards his maid and any who call on him and hopes their stories of poor reclusive Mr. Pollock, who's afraid of his own shadow, will be enough to satisfy the gossips and discourage the matchmakers. When he finally has a dream one night in September, it is of his garden. First, he thinks he's awake, but then he sees that all the roses are blue, and he knows that this is a dream. He is alone, and the sun is setting in the east, tinting everything in a reddish light that reminds Hop of his stranger's ruby. Hop settles back on his bench and lets the roses wind their thorny vines around and around him, binding him to his seat. He waits and does not move, bathed in the red light of the ever-sinking sun until a flock of sparrows outside his window wakes him. The next time he dreams, a week later, he dreams of walking along the sea near his cottage. The waves are crashing at the shore, and Hop stares at the water and the dark shapes beneath its surface. There is a beautiful shell in the sand, silver and golden and pearlescent. He does not pick it up and starts walking. 
He dreams of the sea again the next night, and the shells grow in number, but Hop walks and walks and does not collect any of them. Over the next two months, Hop dreams regularly. Sometimes of the garden, sometimes of the sea. Sometimes of a dark and rainy street, empty around him. Wherever he finds himself, he always patiently waits for something to happen, for his stranger to appear, but the dreams stay empty and quiet. He lets the roses bind him, the sand on the shore envelop him, he lets the rain drench him and stay standing rooted to the spot in front of a closed door, waiting. Dream knows he should maybe check on Hob. He keeps putting it off. He can feel him at the edges of the dreaming, but his presence is muted by Dream's wish to not focus on it. He feels soft and vulnerable, and he hates it. He hates that the glow of his core won't stop and can barely be contained by his clothing. He has willed it away innumerable times, but it always returns when his thoughts stray towards Hob when he is alone. Hob has not dreamed of the Nightmare King again so far. Dream would have felt it if he had. He wonders why that is. Have his words of warning worked? Is Hob afraid he'll rip him apart the next time? Part of Dream is glad he heeded his warning, because he doesn't know what he'll do. Being a nightmare can be irritating and confusing. Hobbes' expectations and fears mixing together with the want and hunger of his darker aspect. He can, of course, control himself. He is not a base nightmare, he is the lord of the dreaming. Still, only if Hobbes' need does not override his rational thinking does he truly trust in his control. Hobbes surely thinks him to be a monster of some sort. He even told him he was, and Hobbes enthusiastically did not mind. But Dream does not feel monstrous when he thinks of Hobbes. Quite the opposite. He is unsure how he should present himself should Hop dream of him again. As Hop has met him over the centuries, as a man, or as the king of dreams and nightmares. Dream has never told Hop who he is because he wants to not be a king when he's meeting him. He wants to sit and listen to Hop talk, watch his face go through all human emotions, glut himself on his unbridled joy and want for life that Dream can no longer muster. He does not want to be looked upon with fear or reverence. He realizes with a startling clarity that makes rosy light spill out from under his mantle again that he only wants his friend, Hob.
What if he can never again see Hop smile at him like when they last met, sitting across a table from each other like two equals? What if all Hop will see from now on is the unruly being he is on the inside, the unfathomable, dangerous entity? Dream buries his face in his hands and curses himself for having ruined things twice over. When the dream of the cellar finally returns, Hop immediately checks his chains. Good, they are there. He imagines them stronger, heavier. His sleeping brain adds a sturdy iron shackle around his throat for good measure that puts him straight against the cold stone wall and chokes him a bit, but he is glad. He won't reach out for something he's not allowed to hold. He needs his friend to know that, if he comes. Hop is alone in the cellar, not even the guards are there. He looks at the shadows and waits, but the stranger does not appear. Like all the other dreams he's had in the last weeks, this one is empty. Hop starts to speak anyway. This is the first dream of the cellar since he last saw his friend. It has to mean something, right? I'd like to talk to you, my friend. He watches the dark corners, but nothing moves. I'm sorry if I overstepped. I won't do that again, I promise. I'll stay right here. I just... <sighs> he sighs wetly, feeling emotional. He misses him so much. I'd love to see you. I don't think I can wait another 98 years to see you again. Please, just let me apologize. There is no answer, and Hop hangs in his chains and feels uncomfortable and lonely until he wakes up. The dream of the cellar becomes a regular one after that and joins the garden, the sea, and the empty London street as the backdrop for Hop's attempts at focused dreaming. Hop starts to feel like he has found a way to call on his friend, has found his house, but he is being kept on the doorstep, locked out. Hop just wishes his friend would finally answer the door. There is a raven with a white breast in the sand before him, tilting its head from side to side, eyeing the shiny shells. Will you not collect any of them? It asks him with a woman's voice. Hop shakes his head. He is excited about the bird's presence. It has never been in his dreams before. Hop is getting better and better at recognizing when he's dreaming these days. He often knows as soon as he takes a look around. I dare not. The sea puts them out for you, you know. The raven hops back from the lapping waves and flaps its wings. 
Hop walks on. The raven follows. I dare not take anything that is not freely given. But they are being given. Then he shall appear and hand them to me. I would hear him say that I'm allowed, or else I won't take anything. Somehow Hop knows that they are talking about the same person, that the raven knows who he means. The raven fluffs its feathers, makes a frustrated-sounding noise, and flies off. Hop sits down to wait, toes digging in the dry sand, always out of reach of the water, and lets the sand pull him in. Hop thinks about what the bird said, of the things in his dreams being there for him to interact with. He thinks that maybe his friend would notice him on his doorstep if he knocked, that he could get his attention if he reached out and picked up a shell or plucked a rose. He can't bring himself to do any of it. It feels like the opposite of what he's trying to prove. That he will not take anything. Not without explicit consent of his friend. He keeps standing in the rain in the dark street and watches the lights inside the house flicker and dance like flames. This can't go on, Lucien. They are both being idiots. I know, Jessamie, but what am I supposed to do? I can't make Lord Morpheus speak to his friend if he doesn't want to. You remember the first time I tried to tell him something was wrong? It took months for him to finally look at the damn book. Yes, I remember it vividly. And now he's doing the same thing again, brooding in his room. He's hiding something, I think. He hasn't let me sleep in his cloak since he came back from Hopgadling's dream. He keeps himself surprisingly well-dressed suddenly. Hasn't lounged around in a toga on his stairs in forever. It's high collar and full sleeves all the time. Something is definitely wrong. Lucienne nods. Jessamie flaps around in agitation. And the man, he dreams of nothing. He just does nothing. He won't do anything he's not allowed to, he says. As if a dreamer needs to ask for permission to dream. Insane, the both of them. Lucienne rubs the bridge of her nose again and feels a headache coming on. Please calm down, Jessamy. You're being worse than Mervyn. I will try and speak to Lord Morpheus. Could you please keep an eye on Robert Gatling? I'm worried if everything is all right with him in the waking world. Fine, but never compare me to Mervyn again, you hear? Lucienne smiles. I won't. Thank you, my friend. My lord, have you recently had a look at... Your friends, Dreams? Dream frowns and shifts where he sits on the upper steps to his throne. He can feel the light trying to spill out of his robe at the mere mention of his friend. 
No, Lucien. Not that it should be of any interest to you. But I have decided not to look at Hop Gatling's subconscious. His dreams feel very faint because of that. Lucienne shifts on her toes and eyes him over her glasses. It makes him frown deeper in disquiet. That may be not only because you're trying not to feel them, I think. He's holding himself back from dreaming, my lord. Holding himself back? That is not possible. He is dreaming. I can feel that much. Yes, my lord, but he's not engaging, not doing anything. He's just waiting. Waiting? For what? Lucien smiled sadly at him. He refuses to acknowledge it as pity. For you, my lord. The Storms of Life Part 1 of the Storms of Life series A Sandman Potfic Written by Torte and read by Literarian Chapter 9 He feels unmoored again, unsure what to say or do in the face of Hop's honesty. He can make Hop forget it all when he wakes, but Hop's open affection is tearing at his defenses. He wants to be honest as well. There are four questions of value in life. What is sacred? Of what is the spirit made? What is worth living for? And what is worth dying for? The answer to each is the same. Only love. Lord Byron Dream knows he should visit Hob. He is waiting for him, Lucien said. The fact that Hob is not dreaming properly, that he is not resting like he should because forcing one's dreams all the time in such a way is exhausting to the human mind, worries dream. It is his duty to look after the dreamers. And Hob needs looking after. Hob has need of the Lord of Dreams. But he is afraid. Afraid that Hob will again conjure his nightmare form and that he'll be unable to resist the narrative of Hob's personal horror story. He does not want to be Hob's monster. He wants to be his friend. 
He does not only dream of you as the Nightmare King, my lord. Have you not read his earlier books? Lucien asks carefully when he finally, tentatively, voices his worry in front of her. Dream stares at her wide-eyed and shakes his head. I have not. He has never felt it right to intrude into Hop's personal dreams over the centuries. Lucienne shakes her head softly. Let's just say he never thought of you as a bad person, my lord. And I don't believe he thinks so now. You should go to him. Dream sighs and nods. It's almost a thank you, Lucienne thinks proudly. Hop tends to the garden, mostly, when he's awake. He can't stand to walk the shore anymore when he dreams every other night of walking along a never-ending beach full of shiny shells. So he mostly stays at home and watches the birds in the bushes and in the sky and takes care of the chores around the house and the garden. It's quiet work and he feels like he has become a different person than he usually is. Andrew Pollock is quiet and lonely. It doesn't sit well with Hop Gatling. Hop Gatling is not a recluse. He enjoys life and people and does not stay alone for long. Yet for months now he has not had the will to go and socialize. He feels a somber mood lie over him, a dull pressure making him sullen and sad. It feels like soldier's fatigue despite not having any more nightmares about the horrors he's had to endure. Hop feels tired, despite sleeping so much. At night when he sleeps, the lonely dreams only compound upon his loneliness when he's awake. When he tends to the flowers and weeds the garden, he feels at least useful and alive. It's a warm October evening, golden and beautiful, and Hop enjoys the garden work. The air is sweet from the roses and salty from the sea, and he feels almost happy. But when the sun sinks below the hedges of the rose bushes and he has to abandon the garden to the night, his forlorn mood returns. As he readies himself for bed, he thinks of his stranger, like is his routine now, and concentrates on the cellar, still his best bet on where his stranger might appear to him again. With a heavy sigh, he lies down to sleep and tries to hold on to the last shred of hope of seeing his friend before 1989. Graham steps into the familiar cellar and expects to find the nightmares of the man who heard Hop at their work. Instead, he finds it empty except for Hop, chained to the wall. He turns towards him and inspects the scene. 
The shackles are sturdy around his wrists, binding them close to the wall. Another clasps his throat. Hop's eyes fall on him with a gasp, and he shifts his naked feet on the floor. He wears a long nightshirt like the last time, but there are no wounds on his body. Dream takes a step closer, curious. Hop, why are you in chains? His voice does not sound like a monster's, and Dream spares a quick glance at himself to notice with some relief that he is not in his nightmare form. Hop doesn't answer. Dream takes another step closer. There's no one here to hurt you. Why do you still dream of this place? Hop swallows visibly against the shackle around his throat. It must be uncomfortable. Dream cocks his head in confusion. This is a dream of Hop's choosing. If he wishes for it to be a nightmare, then why is no one here? Is it a dream of loneliness? Of being forgotten and left to rot? It's not the only place I dream of, but this is where you showed up, so I have been waiting for you, Hop says, a slight blush grazing his cheeks. Dream takes another step still taking in his friend's helpless form. Then why would you put yourself in chains? I told you last time, they are of your own making. Hop chuckles helplessly and ducks his head as far as he's able. I know, I want them there. Why? Dream asks again, frowning. So I won't touch you, Hop confesses, and Dream's eyes widen. He holds his steps towards Hop and feels again the beat of his core growing stronger. Pinkish light spills out of his coat that has fallen open partially. Hop gasps at the sight and adds tightly, So I won't reach out again. For that. Dream feels like bursting into flame. Flames actually start to flicker at the hem of his robe and Hop eyes them with concern. Dream pushes the words out that are at the front of his mind. Want to? It is a question, but his flat tone makes it sound like nothing at all, and Hop speaks quickly, as if afraid Dream will vanish again. I want to apologize for reaching out like that last time, like I was allowed. I'm sorry, my friend. If I have made you uncomfortable, then I apologize. I will never touch you again if you don't want me to, but please. He balls his shackled hands into fists, emphasizing the way he has bound himself, 
for dream. Please let me see you, occasionally. I know we said every hundred years, but my friend, I don't think I can bear it. Hop swallows again and seems afraid of Dream's reaction. Still, he barrels on, adding, I can't bear it. I miss you. Dream's mouth falls open at the same words repeated again that have been haunting him these last months. He feels unmoored again, unsure what to say or do in the face of Hop's honesty. He can make Hop forget it all when he wakes, but Hop's open affection is tearing at his defenses. He wants to be honest as well. Still, he is not allowed to love a mortal. But he is not mortal, is he? He will never choose death, you know that. Do the rules apply to him? Do you care? There's something he wants to know, and so he decides to simply ask. The words come slowly, his tongue feeling heavy like lead. Hop, may I ask if I let you touch this? He slowly pulls open his mantle and reveals the pulsing rosy orb of his core, like an offering. It shifts form like a living thing, twists until it turns into a bird no bigger than a small thrush. Hop draws a sharp breath, eyes fixed on it in wonder and awe. What would you do with it? If I give you my heart, he does not say, would you break it? Dream is afraid of the answer, but he has to know. The cellar is transforming suddenly, the light turning brighter, stone turning into the green of rose bushes. They are in a garden full of blue roses and Hop sits on a bench, bound tightly with vines. Hop lifts his eyes from the rose-coloured bird in Dream's chest and looks Dream in the eye with a smile that is pure tenderness. I would let it fly, of course. And Dream feels himself crumble. Feels like he will shed everything that separates him from this man, turn it to sand and let there be no more barriers between his heart and Hobbes. He wants to put himself into Hobbes' hands, to perch on them and feel the wind under his wings, to feel Hobbes lift him up, to fly from his hands like a wild bird. He draws a shaky breath he does not need 
and steps closer to him, closing the distance between them and stepping between his legs. He reaches down and gently pulls the vines wound tightly around Hop's chest away. Hop still does not move, only looks up at him with wonder and hope. You would not cage it, then? Dream asks, with just as much wonder. Hop frowns slightly and shakes his head, eyes soft, all of him soft. Cage it? Never! I know I would miss it while it flies, but if I let it fly, I imagine how it would soar. What wonders it would spread from its wings. How its song would delight all who hear it. Ah. He sighs and his eyes are red-rimmed as he adds, The greatest gift would be if it would choose to rest in my hands, maybe more often than once every century. Graham swallows heavily around a lump in his throat and lifts his hand to rip another vine binding Hop's left arm to the bench. Hop watches him, unmoving. Am I forgiven then? There was nothing to forgive, Hop. I was unsure how my last visit changed your perception of me. If what you saw of me was well received. Hop hums and smiles at him again. Graham could look at that smile for all his days and not be sick of it. I know you well enough to know you are no monster, my friend. We all have some dark inside us. He leans back and tilts his head, like he is offering Graham his throat. I want all of you, my friend. I'd take everything you want to give me and more. I'm a greedy man, my dear stranger. I am so greedy. He strains his right arm and legs against the vines still wrapped around them and Graham sees blood well up under the thorns. Hop huffs and finishes his sentence. That I've had to take measures to hold myself back. I say I'd never cage you, but I... I want to hold you so badly, I don't know what you'll allow me. I don't want to overstep. Graham cocks his head. He rips another vine off and smears a drop of blood welling up on Hop's forearm with his thumb. You need not be afraid you'll do anything to me that I do not wish for, Hop. It is not in your power. This is my realm. Yet I surprised you before. You were shocked and you left. I don't want you to leave. 
Hop looks with pleading eyes at him, and Dream feels himself flush again. The bird in his mantle shuffling his wings. It seems to have settled on this form and tucks its head into Dream's robe, still glowing brightly. I will not leave, he says, and means it. He has freed Hop from the vines holding him down, and he slowly sits down beside him on the bench. Hop turns toward him like a flower towards the sun, and Dream wonders how this can be when Hop is the sun, not him. He swallows again at Hop's smile and says, voice rough with emotion, Open your hands. Hop does as he's asked and puts both hands open before him. Dream gently reaches inside his mantle and pulls out the glowing bird. With slow, deliberate motions, he puts it into Hop's outstretched hands. Hop gasps and Dream stares only at Hop's face. His eyes are wide and wet and so beautiful that Dream wants to... He wants to be the bird. He closes his eyes. He is the bird. He burrows his head in Hop's palm and basks in his warmth. Hop brushes over his feathers with his thumb, gently, so gently, and Dream wants nothing more than another caress of these fingers. A splash of wet hits his feathers, and Dream opens his eyes and is again sitting beside Hob, who is staring at the bird and at him with such a look of awe, who is crying. Oh, are you well? Dream asks with concern. His friend nods and tilts his head down as more tears run down his face and into his beard. Some fall onto his hands and the bird ruffles its feathers to dry them but does not move away. Hob lifts the bird up to dream. I'm fine, thank you. I... Take it back, please. I... I don't... don't want to hurt it. Dream puts his own hands around Hobbs and squeezes softly. The bird settles more firmly in Hobbs' palms. You're not hurting me. It is comfortable, warm. He does not meet Hop's eyes when he adds, I would like to be allowed to rest with you sometimes. The smile Hop gives him at that is so blinding that Dream stops breathing and the garden is suddenly full of sunlight, Bright and so, so warm. It would be my honor, 
my friend. Dream. Pardon? My name is Dream. Hop laughs, bright and beautiful. <laughs> that makes so much sense. He looks at him like he has never been more happy in his life. Dream, he says, and Dream shivers. It sounds good when Hop speaks his name. He would like to hear him say it more often. Will you come and visit my garden, my friend? I'm quite proud of it. It's nice and quiet. I will make you tea. Dream feels himself smile. The bird in their joined hands glows almost as bright as Hop's smile. Yes, I think I will, my friend. The Storms of Life Part 1 of the Storms of Life series A Sandman Potfic Written by Torte and read by Literarian Chapter 10 Summary Hop gets a visitor Love will find a way through paths where wolves fear to pray Lord Byron Hop wakes up to a rainy October morning, but he feels more refreshed than he has in months and the rain can't dampen his mood. He feels elated. The dream is still vivid in his mind. His friend has finally appeared and has forgiven him his forwardness, has... Hop shivers and blushes, even alone in his bed. His friend has let him hold his heart. His own is beating so hard it feels like it's about to burst and Hop sits up, trying to dispel the restless energy he feels. He remembers that he has invited his stranger to visit him. For tea. And his friend said yes. His friend whose name is Dream. Hop laughs out loud and gets out of bed with an enthusiasm he hasn't felt in a long time. Over the course of the morning... While taking a light breakfast of apples and tea in the kitchen, Hop calms down and tries to be reasonable. He doesn't know when his friend will visit. It could be months, years even. 
Still, everything sooner than 98 years is to be looked forward to, and so he decides to ready himself accordingly. It is time that Andrew Pollock stocked up his pantry. Maggie, the girl who comes round to clean a bit and takes his washing, is quite perplexed when he greets her cheerfully and asks her for the current news. He hasn't really engaged in conversation with any of the villagers in the last year, and everyone eventually left him alone. Hope means to change that. Now that he knows that his stranger will visit him, at least once, maybe more often if he's lucky, he feels finally able to enter the world again. He doesn't want his friend to find him a depressed hermit whose whole thinking revolves around nothing but him. He does not want to continue being pathetically lonely by choice. He has to get a grip on his life again. Maggie is confused but happy about his new enthusiasm and lets him accompany her to the village. He greets everyone they meet with a smile and Hop makes a rather large order at the convenience store. The owner smiles and asks him if he's expecting visitors. Yes, I am, Hop says, and can't help the grin. He knows that he and his mysterious visitor will be the theme of the village gossip for a while, but he doesn't care. When he's on his way home, a lot of people are already approaching him, curious to see him in town. He makes small talk, apologizes for his lack of social engagement, and parts from everybody with a smile. It feels good to talk to people again, and Hop realizes how lonely he has truly been this last year, how little he cares for it. Adam, the son of the mailman, who usually delivers his orders to his cottage, catches his eye at the edge of the village. Mr. Pollock, I hear you're expecting a visitor. I, uh, yes, I am. Word travels fast, doesn't it? Adam laughs good-naturedly. <laughs> of course, you're our most mysterious neighbor after all. But I'm wondering... He leans closer with a conspiratorial look. How did your visitor announce themselves? There's been no mail for you, no telegram. Hop gulps and laughs weakly. He hasn't thought this through. Adam wiggles his eyebrows and seems not too concerned, gladly. He laughs. <laughs> did they send a pigeon? Maybe. Hop smiles and cries for the same conspiratorial air. Adam points at something behind Hop and says, Oh, maybe that one? Hop turns around and stares wide-eyed at a white-breasted raven sitting on a fence very near them. It eyes him and gives a croak. Hop knows that bird. He has met it in his dreams once, hasn't he? Can this be... 
his mind running, he turns back to the boy with a smile and says easily, That would be funny, wouldn't it? No, this meeting has been arranged for a long time, and now that the appointment is drawing nearer, I'm getting excited. I don't know yet when exactly my visitor will arrive. If you receive any mail for me, please let me know immediately, yes? Have a good day now. Of course, Mr. Pollock, have a good day. I'll be around with the first part of your order this afternoon. Is that all right, sir? Quite all right, Adam. Thank you. The boy walks off and Hop starts slowly walking as well, keeping an eye on the raven. It croaks again and he stops. I can't be seen talking to a bird in town. I live down the road by the sea. You'll find it easily enough. He feels silly. Why does he think the bird wants to talk to him? It cocks its head and takes off. Hop frowns and continues his walk home. When he nears his cottage, he can see the raven perched on the roof, waiting for him. Hop feels his pulse speed up. Dream. Dream. A bird he met in a dream. He hurries the rest of the way, and when he steps up to the front door, the raven flutters down from the gable to perch on the iron rail holding a lantern above the door. Hop looks at it expectantly. Hello again. We've met before, haven't we? By the sea? Yes, well met, Hopgatling. The raven answers, and Hop actually startles. He didn't really expect it to answer him. You can talk. Marvelous observation. I have a message from my lord. Hop's heart is beating faster and he swallows nervously. Yes, he asks, a little breathless. The raven puffs out its, her, chest and looks down its beak at him if something like that can be said of a bird. I am here to inform you that my lord intends to accept your invitation and will visit your house tomorrow afternoon around tea time. Hop grins. Tomorrow? Already? He was prepared to wait for a few years, but tomorrow... He realizes that the raven seems to be waiting for an answer. Um, yes, wonderful. Please tell him. He swallows again, feeling giddy with joy. Tell him I'm eagerly awaiting him. The bird croaks and flaps its wings. It mutters something that sounds like bloody obviously and takes off without a goodbye. He stares after it, stunned and a bit overwhelmed. Tomorrow. Graham will visit him tomorrow. For tea, like he promised. With a smile still splitting his face, he enters his home and gets to work. He wants the house clean to make a good impression. 
Hop gets through the day by sheer force of will and exhausts himself with cleaning and gardening. In the afternoon, Adam brings the first part of what he has ordered. Fruits, fresh bread and new tea, biscuits, sausages and cheese, and four bottles of good wine, two white and two red. It will be enough to host his friend, Hop hopes. He has never touched any food in his presence before, but he wants to be able to offer something more than tea. In the evening, he is so tired that he falls into bed without any prior focusing and sleeps dreamless through the night. The next day comes with clear skies and a fresh breeze, and Hop spends it fretting in the garden, trimming the roses and unobtrusively decorating the small sitting area with blankets and flower pots. He daydreams about Dream and him taking their tea out here, sitting close on the bench like in his dream two nights ago. The nearer tea time comes, the more nervous Hop gets. He dusts off every surface once more, fills the kettle and checks the cups for dirt and chipped edges. When the knock on the door finally comes, Hop realizes with terror that he has not changed. He's still wearing the sweaty shirt with which he did the garden work and there's dirt on his knees. There comes a second knock and Hop hurries to the door. It can't be helped, he thinks, and opens the front door with a nervous smile. His friend is standing before him, dressed all in black like usual. He looks almost the same as he did two years ago in London, only his hair is a bit longer, a bit wilder. Hop Gadling. Thank you for inviting me, his friend says with a small smile. Hop takes a little bow. At the moment, it is Andrew Pollock at your service, my friend. Please come in. Graham nods in thanks and steps into Hop's cottage with all the grace of royalty. Hop feels giddy. His friend is here. He's actually here, and Hop is awake. Hop closes the door and leads his friend into the small living room. It's not much, I'm afraid, but please make yourself comfortable. Graham takes a look around the room and then says, You wanted to show me your garden. Hop blushes. Yes, I thought we might take our tea out there, if you like. Graham nods. Right, let me just prepare it real quick. If you want, you can take the door back there and have a look around. Graham tilts his head in acknowledgement and steps out into the garden. Hop hurries into the kitchen, and while he puts the kettle on, he contemplates if he has time to change into clean clothes. He turns around to head to his bedroom, 
and almost runs into Dream, standing behind him. Christ! Hop jumps. Everything all right, my friend? He asks shakily. Dream tilts his head. Yes, I like your garden, but I wanted to see the rest of your house. Of, of course, I was just contemplating changing, you see. Hop gestures at himself and gives a small self-deprecating laugh. I forgot to change out of my work clothes. I'm sorry. Dream gives him a once-over and leans closer. Hop blushes and leans back against the kitchen counter. I have no problem with your current attire. It is proof of your devotion to your garden. I find it endearing. Hop shivers at Dream's intense gaze and opens his mouth to say something when the kettle goes off and he flinches violently. Dream blinks and takes a step back to let Hop prepare the tea. So, Andrew Pollock, not your usual choice of name, for safety reasons, I assume. They are sitting on the garden bench like Hop envisioned. Hop slowly drinking his tea, Dream holding his cup in his palms. He has yet to take a sip, but it seems like he enjoys the warmth. Yes, it seemed sensible to choose a name not similar to my own. In a few decades, I hope I'll get to be myself again. Hop chuckles sadly. Dream stares at him, then puts the teacup down on the small garden table and lifts a hand to touch the side of his head, and Hop freezes. The short hair is a part of your disguise. Hop stares at him for a second before answering. Yes, and the beard. Dream hums. Mm, I haven't seen you with a beard since 1589. I like it. You do? Yes, it reminds me of when we first met. Although I miss this. His thumb catches Hop's chin and presses into the dimple hidden by his beard. Hop huffs a laugh. <laughs> Nobody ever misses that. Why not? Dream seems genuinely puzzled. Hop blushes. Well, not a lot of people consider it attractive. You wouldn't believe how much more positive appraisal I've gotten since I've grown this beard. It does make you look roguishly handsome. Dream's eyes crinkle with laughter. 
His thumb brushes absently over the dimple in Hop's chin again. Hop feels like his face is on fire. He makes a non-committal sound, not trusting his voice. That dream is touching him this much is a lot to process. That his fingers are still lingering on his face is very distracting, and Hop can't think of any words. He is so close, he can see the swirls of stars in Dream's eyes. It is mesmerizing. Hop nervously licks his lips, and Dream's eyes flicker down to his mouth and back up again. Hop feels a whimper stuck in his throat. He feels pulled taut like a lute string and ready to snap. <sighs> Dream murmurs and puts his other hand softly on Hop's cheek. May I? He trails off and eyes Hop's lips again, and Hop can only breathe a desperate, Yes, please, and close his eyes as his friend leans in. Dream's lips are as soft as rose petals, as his heart, and Hop sighs at the contact as butterflies wildly dance in his belly. Dream lets out a deep rumble, reminding Hop again of a huge cat. He presses closer and Hop can't reach out because he's still holding his tea and so he lets Dream take his time and direct the kiss, which stays gentle and chaste. When his friend pulls back, Hop opens his eyes and gasps in wonder at the sight. Out of Dream's mantle spills a fountain of rosy light and what looks like fragments of light or feathers swirl around them, engulfing them both in the soft warm colour of tea roses. Dream's eyes are dark and hooded and he blinks lazily at him, a small smile on his lips. Hop lets go of the teacup and does not mind when it hits the ground with a small chinking sound. He puts his hands on Dream's face and pulls him back in for another kiss. This one grows much more heated quickly and they both gasp when they finally pull apart. Dream... Hop tries, but is interrupted by his friend growling and kissing him again with fervor. Hop can feel heat pouring off Dream's chest, the pulse of his heart wild and heavy, vibrating in the air around them. Hop feels like his own heart tries to match the beat, thudding loudly against his ribs. Hop... Dream almost whines and Hop buries his hands deeper into his unruly hair and kisses his eyelids, his cheek. Yes, love. Love? His friend asks with wonder, eyes wide. 
Hop pulls their foreheads together and whispers breathlessly, Yes, yes, all the time. Didn't you know? He gently kisses Dream's cheeks again, one, then the other, and adds, Isn't that why you gave your heart to me to hold? Because you know? He looks him in the eyes. That I'll love you forever? Dream stares at him like he's the most wondrous thing he's ever seen, and Hop feels himself flush all over. Then Dream suddenly frowns, and Hop freezes with worry. You should not make promises that you may not be able to keep, Hopgatling. Hop shakes his head. I'm not. I've loved you for centuries, Dream. I'm not just going to stop. I don't think I can. I told you. He pushes himself further into Dream's lap. I'm greedy. I want all of you. Yes, he adds when Dream growls dangerously and sharp claws dig into Hop's sides, ripping into his shirt. Even your more dangerous parts. Please. He takes Dream's face in his hands again and forces him to look at him. His eyes are black tidal pools of darkness, but Hop stares resolutely into the void. Don't insult me by thinking I don't know my own heart after living over 500 years. I know that I love you more than anything, and it won't change no matter which form you take. Dream, my friend. He keeps looking into the fathomless depths of Dream's eyes until he feels like he's falling into the darkness between the stars. Hop clutches at his mantle, trying to stay tethered to the here and now. Then, slowly, the hands of his friend turn less sharp and grip his sides firmly, but without claws. Stars appear in the void of Dream's eyes, and Hop feels like he can breathe again. Dream leans his forehead against Hop's again and closes his eyes with a deep sigh. I will not insult your sincerity, Hop. Forgive me, it has been long since I felt I could trust love. He looks at Hob, still with a frown marring his face, and says, My affections are not easily born. They can be too much for some. Hop smiled softly. I've had several former lovers complain about me being too much. Maybe we are well matched in our ferocity, my dear. A small smile plays around Dream's lips. Perhaps. 
On your head be it then, Hopgatling. You're insufferable. Hop kisses him with a grin. Dream hums again deeply and pulls him even closer, enveloping him in his arms. Hop puts a hand on Dream's chest and feels the warmth of his heart spill through his fingers. Silently, he vows to himself to put his own heart into Dream's hand the next time he dreams, to drive his point home. Didn't you want to see the rest of the house? Hop gasps against Dream's mouth, and his friend pulls him up from the bench with eyes sparkling. I did. And as the king of dreams and nightmares, I have a singular interest in your bedroom. Hop laughs out loud. <laughs> That's horrible. Oh my god, you're terrible at flirting. He shakes with laughter until Dream roughly pulls him close again and kisses the laughter from his mouth with a snarl and bites at his chin, chasing the dimple. Hop does make it up to him soon afterwards, and is rewarded with the most gorgeous display of rosy dream shapes in his bedroom. The End